A guy goes out into a field, and in the middle of this field, he takes his shovel and he starts to dig. And he sticks the shovel into the ground, and you know that satisfying sound when you stick the shovel into the ground? If you've ever dug a hole, you know what I'm talking about, which is shook, right? When you just get solid bite, it gets into the ground, it's a good scoop, it doesn't bounce off the top or anything, this is good dirt to dig in. And he pulls this shovel out and he throws it aside, and he digs again, shook, right? It goes in, and it, oh, it's so satisfying. I don't know if anyone else enjoys digging a good hole, but I enjoy digging a good hole every now and then uh, for no particular reason. And he's digging this hole, and he's shoveling this dirt every time, shoot, satisfying sound as he sticks that shovel into the ground, pulls the dirt a sound, and then he sticks it in again, and he goes, thud. What? That's not right. It wasn't the pang of your shovel hitting a rock or something, but it was solid. It was solid. It almost sounded like wood or something. He takes the shovel again, thud. It hits it again. What in the world? What is going on? And so he, he kind of pokes around with the shovel a little bit. He scrapes the dirt away. Sure enough, there's wood in there. And more than that, he sets the shovel down. He gets down on his hands and knees. He starts pushing the dirt aside. And it's, it, it's wooden uh, planks and there's metal straps on this. So what am I dealing with here? He scoops the dirt away and it's, it's a chest. Someone has buried a chest in the middle of this field. And so he starts to, to dig it out a little bit, and there's a lock on it. But he tugs on the lock. Click. It opens right up. Unbelievable. He pulls the lock off, and there's a couple of clasps. Sound effects through the whole message, I promise. Okay? <laughs> yeah, Tim doesn't do sound effects. All right. So he lifts the lid. Right? Uh, and and he, he lifts this lid, and he cannot believe his eyes. He cannot believe what is in this box. So he closes the lid and he replaces the clasps and he puts the lock back on, although he's careful not to actually lock it, right? Then he scoops the dirt back over the top, frantic now, covering it up and patting the dirt down hard so there's not a mound left. He wants this to look just like it did and he grabs some dry grass and he spreads it around. He does not want anyone else to find what was in this box, but he needs to be able to find it again. So he finds a, a twig and he sticks it up just one little marker so he can find the spot again and then he runs he runs into town he runs into town he goes to his house and he starts selling everything he sells everything in his house he sells all of his furniture he takes off his clothes and puts on the worst t-shirt and worst pair of shorts he has puts on his worst shoes that are worn out and he sells the clothes right off of his back he sells his home he sells his car he sells everything except for his shovel and these ratty clothes on his back. He sells everything. And then he takes that money and he goes and he buys the field that he was digging in. And when the, when the deed is in hand and he officially owns this field and everything buried within, he goes running back out to the field. With a little bit of panic and anxiety and excitement, he goes running back out to the field. And he's looking and he sees the twig sticking up, it's still there. Oh, this is a good sign. And he grabs a shovel and he just starts throwing that dirt aside, right? Digging through the dirt until he hears that thud as he hits that chest again. He sweeps the dirt aside, he undoes the clasp, he pulls the lock off and he slides that door of that box open again. And there it is, it's still there. Oh, it's still there, thank goodness. What's in the box? Aren't you dying to know? 
Have I set this up so that you're dying to know it's in the box? What if I didn't tell you? That'd be terrible, right? What an awful introduction. He opens this box, and in it, he sees power. Right? When he speaks, now people will listen. He will be respected. He will not be mocked or made fun of. There is power in this box, and that was worth selling everything he had to obtain. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's approval, right? Maybe it's the approval of his peers is in this box. To be seen as one of them, to be included in the friend group, to not be on the outside anymore, but to be on the inside, approval is in the box. That was worth selling everything he had for. Maybe it's success, right? Success at everything he endeavors to do. Success that shows he's worth something, that he's valuable. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's to be attractive to that person that he always wanted to be attractive to. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's comfort. What's in the box? What's what's in your box? What is worth selling every single thing you have for? What's worth giving everything else up for? What's in your box? I didn't make this story up. Not mine. Wish I could take credit. Uh, This story was originally told by a guy you may have heard of named Jesus. Uh, Okay. Matthew uh, 13, verse 44. Jesus is a better storyteller than me. He does it in two sentences. Let's read his. Matthew 13, 44, you're like, man, I wish Jesus was preaching this morning. This guy's long-winded. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. The kingdom of God was in the box for that man. The kingdom of God was in the box, and it was worth giving up everything else he owned for down to his shovel and the clothes on his back. The kingdom of God was in the box and it was worth everything. I couldn't help but go to this story teaching on Luke 18, 18, which is the passage we're really going to dig into. Do you see the parallels between them? We have treasure in both cases. We we have the, the, uh, the request or the need to sell everything you have in order to get it. And what Luke, Luke shows us the negative example, where Matthew in this story tells us the positive example. Right? We have on, on one hand, in Luke, the person who was not willing to sell all he had to obtain this treasure. And in Matthew, we have the one who is willing to sell all that he has to obtain this treasure. And And I think the reality is, as I look at these two stories, I fear that my heart is more like the man from Luke. I fear that my heart is rather attached to what's in my box, and I don't know that I'd be willing to give that up for anything 
maybe even the kingdom of God. That terrifies me, that thought. But I wonder, I think that a lot of times our boxes are not filled with the kingdom of God, but they're filled with these other things. And, and I, I, I think maybe some of you may resonate with that idea that there is something else in your box other than the kingdom of God, something else in your box which you would give everything up for, something that you aspire to attain, or maybe something that you have already attained and would never want to lose but there's something else in your box other than the kingdom of God. And, and, and why? Why are our boxes filled with blank? Why are our boxes filled with these other things and not filled with the kingdom of God? We're going to come back to that. But first, I want to dig into Luke. I want to dig into this passage, Luke 18. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Open it up, Luke 18, 18. I want to just walk through this passage a little bit before we come back to that question. There's a couple of uh, points of interest that I thought was uh, uh, worth uh, evaluating this morning. First, right off the top, uh, a ruler asked him, and, and this story is actually told in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Remember that, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four uh, books we call the Gospels, they are first or second-hand accounts of Jesus' life on earth. Okay, so there's a lot of overlapping stories in those four books. This particular story is found in three places, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, all told from a, a different narrator, but having kind of the same idea. I'd encourage you to go look up the others. It's, it's interesting to look at. Um, from the others, from Matthew and Mark, we know that he's, he's rich. He's a rich, young ruler. And uh, he asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, this is a good question, right? If you have an opportunity to ask a question to Jesus... What must I do to inherit eternal life is probably the right question. Of all the questions to ask, he's, he's barking up the right tree here. He's come to the one person who can really answer that for him with, with all clarity. But although he's asking the right question, he kind of will see through this dialogue, he, he has a wrong understanding of what it really is he's asking. Right? He has a, a misunderstanding about what the kingdom of heaven is all about and how he's going to attain it. So he asked, what must I do? And, and Jesus says, maybe surprisingly, right? If, if, <laughs> if you've been with us since this church was planted, you've heard all through Galatians that works don't save us and only faith in Jesus saves us, right? And so when he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? We would expect Jesus to say, you, you have to believe in me. You have to trust in me as your Savior. Your faith then in me will save you. But he doesn't say that, and we'll kind of explore why. Instead, Jesus says, um, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He points to the law. He points to the commandments. He points to good works. Isn't that interesting? It's not the answer we would expect Jesus to give. And if, if you've read Luke up to this point, and if, if you were with us uh, in Salem before this church planted, we spent time going through Luke. Uh, we're going to continue going through that moving forward now. So I, I realize we're kind of jumping in in the middle. Some of you are just joining us here in the middle of Luke. But if you read the beginning half of Luke, you're going to find that this is inconsistent. This seems off that Jesus would point to the law and would point to these commandments. Um, and, and, and he says, do these things 
And the man's response is, is another great point of interest here. All these I have kept from my youth. Ever since I was a young boy, I have kept all these commandments, Jesus. I've done all that. Which, which I think is, I, I think this is interesting. Uh, it, it's interesting because, uh, because Jesus points to the law. It's also interesting because um, if he really kept them all, and the, the teaching at the time, all the rabbis, all the teachers, all the religious folks would say, keep the commandments, keep the law, stay away from sin, and that's how you are saved. That's what every other teacher would have told him. And if he was so confident and so secure that, in fact, he had kept all of these from his youth, why is he here? Why is he asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think it reveals something deeper going on in his heart, right? It reveals that he's unsettled. It reveals that he's unsure, maybe anxious, Although he's kept all these and outwardly he's very confident, I think there's a question. There's a wondering, have I done enough? Which Paul points to in Galatians and which maybe every one of us has felt if we're trying to save ourselves, if it comes down to our actions, if it comes down to us keeping the law, can you ever be secure? I don't think so. Though outwardly, other people may look at you and say, clearly that guy's going to heaven. Clearly that woman's going to heaven. I mean, they've got it all figured out. Just look at their Instagram feed or whatever it is. Uh, look at that. They're perfect. There's no imperfection found in these people. But when we evaluate our own hearts, aren't we left unsettled? Aren't we left asking, have I done enough? Am I really saved? Can God really accept me? And I think that's where this man is. He's, he's unsettled. He feels uncomfortable. He thinks there must be more. Maybe he's looking for some, some assurance that Jesus will say, oh, you're good, you're fine. Uh, but he doesn't find that. He says, all these things I've done, um, and, and I also find it interesting that Jesus doesn't attack that. Right, Because on the Sermon on the Mount, which was not long ago, uh, or, or Luke tells the Sermon on the Plain, which is a similar sermon, uh, Jesus, he raises the bar, right? He says, to not murder, uh, you've heard that, but I say, if you've ever been angry with your brother, if you've ever hated your brother, you've already committed murder. He raises the bar, right, from from murder to anger, from adultery to lust, from an eye for an eye becomes turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor becomes love your enemy. Jesus raises the bar on all of these. And in Matthew 5, 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the most religious people in that day unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven jesus could have attacked this man's morals and said you think you're moral you are not moral enough my standard is so much higher than you realize 
He could have gone after that. But I think in this man's case, it may have only uh, convinced him to work harder, right? It may have only convinced him to say, okay, here's a new set of rules. The old set of rules I obtained, here's a new set of rules, let's get to work, right? And his pride and his self-confidence, however misguided it, it, it is, it would cause him to just work harder, try harder to obtain this new level of rules. He would miss the point entirely. So Jesus, so pastoral, and seeing the heart of men doesn't, doesn't do that. He doesn't go after, although he could have, he doesn't go after this man's morals. He just leaves that alone. Instead, he, he, he cuts right through. He sees exactly what's happening in this man's heart. And in a masterful way that only Jesus can, he goes after the one thing he knows this man can't, can't let go of. He goes after the, the one thing right to the heart of the matter. Jesus says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. His wealth, his money, with that probably came status. His wealth was a scorecard, right? And, and, and that's the one thing he just couldn't let go of. He, he goes away sad, for he was extremely rich. Well, I think in Mark it says, for he had many possessions. What I think is interesting here is, is I think Mark's a little bit closer, but I, I think we could go a step further. His possessions had him, right? He thought he had many possessions, but what's being revealed here, in fact, is that his possessions, his many possessions have him. They won't let go of him. He can't release it. He can't sell all that he has to come follow Jesus. He goes away devastated. This word here that they use for sad, it's, it's like deeply grieved because he's very wealthy. It's too important. It's too important to him. So Jesus says, it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He uses this camel and a needle uh, metaphor, right? Uh, it's easier for, for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter uh, heaven. And uh, I've heard this explained. Maybe you've heard that, well, the, the eye of the needle was actually the name of a gate, uh, right? It's a gate next to the big gate in the city. It's called the eye of the needle. It's a small gate. And a camel can get through there. He just has to get down on his knees and shimmy on through, which I, it, it, this is my wife's personal uh, uh, believing on, on this verse too, uh, but that misses the point entirely, right? Whether it's a gate or the eye of a needle, the point is made clear because Jesus goes on to explain it is impossible. This is a metaphor of impossibility, not improbability, not, uh, not kind of hard to get into heaven. You don't have to like get down and shimmy through a small door. Okay, the pearly gate, like I didn't know it was so tiny. This is going to be tough. <laughs> I shouldn't have eaten so many donuts. Dang it. Uh, like, that's not the point, right? This, to, to try to explain this away is just another, like, sinful, works-based understanding of God's kingdom. We're just trying to explain away how impossible this is and make it possible for ourselves. Well, I just need a nimble camel. That's what I need to get into heaven. And it's missing the point entirely. 
And we see that the, the, the disciples don't miss it because they say, then who can be saved? They're in verse 26. Then who can be saved? We, we need only to look a few other places in Scripture to see that the wealthy is not the only person that the Bible goes after explaining how impossible it is. I compiled a short list. It's not short. I just want to buzz through these. All right, these are other places in the Bible, other places in the Bible say that these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. See if you can find yourself. The unrighteous, the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, murderers, sorcerers, all liars. Wow. People who practice filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, sensuality, enmity, strife, jealousy, envy, orgies, fits of anger, rivalries. Uh, those who practice homosexuality, dissensions, uh, you know, creating dissensions, divisions, people who are impure, covetous, cowardly, faithless, detestable, and then in case I missed you, and things like these. <laughs> Did I catch everyone? The Bible actually says, and things like these, like just this junk drawer term for, yes, you're included. <laughs> these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible is so clear on this. This is the most depressing message we've heard all month. This is awful. Uh, <laughs> listen, in uh, 1 Corinthians, after giving part of that list, 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Is it impossible for a wealthy person to go to heaven? Yes. And everything else on the list, too. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all in this boat together. No one, no one inherits the kingdom of heaven. Right? Jesus says, what is impossible with men is what? Possible with God. It is impossible with men. It is not unlikely. It is not difficult. It is impossible with men, but it's possible with God. No one can be saved. Now, this verse where Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God might be one of the most misquoted verses in all of the Bible, and I feel like I can't go on without addressing that. I've seen it on t-shirts. I know some of you own this t-shirt, okay? Uh, I've seen it on t-shirts. I've seen it on coffee cups. When I, when I Googled it, I was like, I'm just curious what it's going to turn up. I Googled the phrase, all things are possible with God, and the motivational posters that are made with that verse, it's insane. You could have every wall in your house covered with a different motivational poster with a picture of some incredible mountain on it and all things are possible with God, right? And it's like, it's used as this way to say, honestly, like this is insane. Like pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, like you're with God. It's, it's possible. Just, you know, lean into God and all things are possible. You can get that job. You can get that girl. You can get that husband. You can get that money. You can go on that trip. You can get into that school. You can get that house, that boat, that car. We use this verse 
to take us directly away from what Jesus is saying. It's craziness. And this is what we do. This is how sinful our hearts are. This is not what Jesus is saying. This is not what this is talking about at all. We're not talking about uh, anything that we can get. We're talking about the impossibility of our souls experiencing salvation for eternity. That's what is impossible. And that's what God makes possible. Let us not misapply this verse. I'm not saying to burn the t-shirt. Wear the t-shirt. And when people say, that's a cool shirt, we say, can I tell you about my soul? It'll be the most intense conversation you've ever had in a grocery store. And it'll be hilarious. Please tell me the story. Okay. Uh, Listen, we just want to make sure we understand the verse and its context and, and what Jesus is saying. Let me tell you one more thing. This passage cannot mean that in order to inherit the kingdom of God, we have to go sell all our things and follow Jesus. I will be honest. I struggled with this. You, you can ask him and some of the other elders. Uh, I was like, don't want to preach this passage. Don't want to tell everyone to sell everything they have, give it to the poor and follow Jesus. I don't want to give that message, okay? Because I don't want to follow that message, to be honest. Uh, I have a hard time with that. And, and as I look at this, I'm like, it, is Jesus literally telling us to sell all we have? Is he literally saying that we have to give away all our wealth, that if we have wealth stored up in our bank account, we are now disqualified from his grace? Is that what's being said? And it cannot mean that. It cannot mean that. Do you know why? Because that's just one more work. It's the 11th commandment. Follow those 10 and sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then you're in. And you know what we don't need in order to do that? God. We don't need them, right? I can do that. I can go sell all that I have today, give it away to the poor, and now I'm in heaven because of me. I have created one more work which I can accomplish, and now God owes me this. Even in trying to follow this uh, command from Jesus, we would remove Jesus from the equation. See how sinful our hearts are? See what idol factories our hearts are? That we would, we would love to strip God from this thing and do it ourselves. No, it cannot mean that because it would remove our dependence on God. Only God can save. Only God can save. Only God can save. I want you to hear that and remember that and hold fast to that. You see, with man it's impossible, but with God it's possible even for a rich man to be saved. With man it's impossible, but with God it's possible even someone who desires success above all else, which is my particular sin, right? Even, even someone like me can be saved. With God, even all liars, where's my list, can be saved. I won't do them all. Uh, even, even those who, who joke crudely can be saved. With God, even uh, those who are cowardly can be saved. With God, it's possible even for you and for me to be saved. It, it all comes back to being fully and completely dependent on God. So I come back to my original question. What's in your box? What's the thing you would give up all other things for if it's not the kingdom of God 
And I must confess frequently for myself, I think it's not. If it's not the kingdom of God, what is it? For this man in Luke 18, it's his wealth. And maybe that's you. Maybe you resonate with that. We're in America. I think we have a high likelihood of resonating with this. We have wealth like the world has never known or seen, even among the lower levels of, of society. Like you don't just have to be at the top to be incredibly wealthy compared to the world's standards and historical standards. We, we are all wealthy. We should all be afraid that that's what's in our box. For the man in, in Luke 18, it was his wealth. What we need to do is get that thing out of our box and put the kingdom of God there. Get Jesus in the box. Right? That should be the thing for which we abandon all else for. We go, well, well how is that? How can I do that? First of all, I would say we have to see Jesus. We have to look on him. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, Tim Keller, who, who I love listening to and, and reading, man, he just blew my mind. He says, did you see the other rich young ruler? Look at him. What? The other rich young ruler, King Jesus, who would have been 32 years old probably at this time, he was a rich young ruler. He had all wealth, all power, all authority in the universe. And what does he do? He gives it all up. He doesn't pay out in dollars. He pays out in blood. He doesn't tithe his blood 10%. He pours it all out. He gives up everything. For who? The poor. Not the financially poor, the poor in spirit, which is every one of us. Spiritually, we're bankrupt without Jesus. It is the spiritually poor who receive the wealth that Jesus bleeds out on the cross. We look at Jesus, God making it possible for sinful man to be saved. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus dies on the cross, the rich young ruler giving up everything he has. So that someone like the rich young ruler, who's too stuck on his wealth to follow Jesus, can be saved. We don't know the end of his story. I actually, I, I assumed reading this, I'm like, oh, he's, he's lost. Uh, but I was reading Charles Spurgeon on, on this passage, and, and he says, I don't think he is. I think he gets saved. Because look how bothered he is when he walks away. He's deeply grieved. And if we leave, if we walk away from Jesus deeply grieved, that probably doesn't go away overnight, right? That's going to continue to roll around through our head. So I hope that in heaven we're going to see this man from Luke 18, 18. I can't wait to talk to him, right? Jesus dies on the cross even for him and for you and for me. For all of us who put something else in the box other than the kingdom of God, he dies for that, the best way to fill your box with Jesus and with his kingdom is to look on him. And, and let me just give you quick uh, practical steps to do this because that all sounds very theoretical, right? N number one, repent often. 
Martin Luther says, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. We need to constantly be evaluating what's in our box, and when it's not Jesus and his kingdom, we need to repent. Turn away from that and turn back to Jesus. Number two, let go of all your righteous pride. Stop trying to convince God and your small group and yourself that you're good with God. Let go the pride. It's doing you no good. See that he is good for you. Jesus is good for you. Jesus obeyed the law for you, and Jesus went to the cross for you, and rest in that. Number three, spend time with him. The more you hang out with Jesus, the less appealing all the other things that might go in your box are. What do I mean by that? I mean, read your Bible. Spend time in your Bible. Pray. Go to church. Worship with God's people together. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more appealing his kingdom looks, and the less appealing our own uh, thing looks. And, and finally, if wealth and money and possessions are the thing in your box, let me, let me tell you how easy this is. This is fantastic. You can kill it. You can totally kill that, that desire. You can totally kill that God, that idol. You just give it away. It's so great. The other things are harder to, to fight in your heart and wrestle with. Money is great because we can just give it away. Right? Every time we're generous, every time we give our money away, we're saying, that money has no control over me. That money has no control over me. At least that portion will not keep me from Jesus. And I'm not saying, again, I, I hope you heard me, I'm not saying you have to sell everything you have and follow Jesus, but I am saying you have to follow Jesus. You have to follow Jesus. And if money is the thing keeping you, start giving that stuff away. Watch how quickly that kills your greed. It's incredible. Let me pray. Father God, I love you so much, and I'm so grateful. Uh, I'm so grateful for uh, this passage. God, I'm so grateful for this rich young ruler and, and how he shows us that, that we can be deceived, we can be led astray, uh, and, and we can be kept from you by the silliest of things, like money and, and power and pride and sex and all of these things. God, Help us to learn from this young man, God, and, and help us to look at the real rich young ruler. Help us to look to Jesus and Jesus on the cross, crucified for our sins, pouring out his very life to redeem us from all of these things that would keep us away. God, let us remember the first commandment, have no other gods before you. Let us put all those other things away and pursue you. God, I pray that this message would sink down deep, deep, deep into our hearts and in our souls and in our minds, God, so that we can pursue you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go to a time of communion. Communion, every week we get together and, and we, get to, uh, we get to look to Jesus. And feel free to stand up and start making your ways. I think the, the ushers are in place. We get to look at Jesus, his blood spilled, his body broken, the rich young ruler giving up everything he has to obtain the treasure. And what is the treasure? It's us. It's those who would believe in him. It's great news. Go ahead and grab communion and make it back to your seats. We'll take it together here in just a moment.
last few of you get communion. Um, I just want to take, uh, if I can I grab one? Thank you so much. We, we take the cracker. This is the, the bread representing Jesus' body, his body that was broken for our sins. Let's do that together. We remember his broken body and we remember the blood he spilled out. All of it. He poured it all out to obtain us his treasure. 